0: Welcome to Church 213. Our world is full of majestic wonders that people experience personally and then walk away being changed forever. Yet there is simply no greater wonder than Jesus. Once our eyes are fixed upon Him, we can't unsee what was seen, so we begin to live differently. In this series, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, we'll look at what happens when Christ comes face to face with ordinary people, how they are changed still has the same majestic power today. We pray that as you would listen, you would turn your eyes upon Jesus. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, church. That was, that was really weak, y'all. Good morning, church. Hey, welcome. Yeah, welcome to the building. Welcome to the building. Welcome to the building. Hey, it's, uh, it is just that. Um, let me go ahead and say this up front. We love you guys. Thank you guys for being here with us king of heaven reigns, king of heaven reigns. And this is a, um, what a privilege it is to be here in this building. Um, but the reality is this, most of the time, um, this building is, is, uh, is just quiet. It's, it's quiet because it's just an organized collection of man-made materials. But a couple of times a week, it comes to life. Amen. And we look forward to this all week and we prepare for you all week. And I hope you've prepared your hearts for this all week. Because when it comes to life, what happens is you come in this place and you put life on display. And I've been kind of watching you guys uh, this morning, just kind of seeing what life looks like. You're shaking hands. You're laughing at each other's stories. Corny dad jokes, I appreciate that. You pray for one another. You talk about your week. Um, You cry tears of joy. You talk about what life brought this way. You you, you carry diaper bags. You drink coffee. I could hear you cheering for Madeline and for for Hunter. These man-made materials came to life because of when we walked in here. And all those things, though, they're, they're they're outward proof. They're outward proof that the body is alive. And I don't know about you, but I am blessed to attend a church that's alive. Amen? That's not just alive but it's thriving. Church Alive is worth the drive. Worth the live, is worth the drive. And, uh, and so with all those things, if you think about it, all of those things that we experience that, that, that pull on our schedules, if you think about what we're doing here this one hour, one hour and a half or so, it's 168 to one. There's 168 hours in a week. So it's easy you know, to, uh, to like the idea of a church that's alive. And it's, you like the idea of a church that's living out loud. But the, but the trick is, if you're not careful, you'll begin to miss that there's a personal role in the mission. You like the idea of what God is doing here. But, but it's easy to, to love to be a part of a church that's doing great things for God. But it's important to, 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 to uh, it's easy to, to miss this, this element. And it's this, that full schedules fight your faith. Amen. That's just the reality of, of where our full schedules will, will fight your faith. To fill a part of something alive, you have to be a part that's alive. Are y'all with me? Because you're not acting very alive, okay? To be a part of something alive, you have to, to, to to be a part that's alive. You guys write this down right off the bat. It's right there on your sermon guide. Right out of the gate. It's this. You have to make the experience personal if you want it to be the most memorable. You have to make the experience personal if you want it to be the most memorable. What a privilege we had to celebrate the life of Miss Kathy Gilbert here yesterday beautiful saint that the Lord has called home. And what we heard is story after story after story of personal experience of why she made such an impact, not just on family, not just on this faith family, but for the cause of the gospel. Because it was personal to her, and therefore her love was personal to us. And it's because of how personal it was that we're overheaping with who Kathy Gilbert was in our hearts. There's a story of a little boy, big brother, that tells his little sister, he said, Hey, I want you to go get your pom poms. I'm gonna go play some football and I want you to be my cheerleader. And so the sister runs in her room and she brings out her pink pom-poms and outside they go. And man, he's throwing the ball to himself. He's diving, he's catching. I mean, he's rolling ten yards into the end zone. He, he's standing up, he spikes the football, he's doing his football dance, you know, that he's been practicing. And she's just off to the side cheering. Go, brother, go. Go, brother, go. And then they come inside. And she runs up to their dad and she said, Dad, you see me and brother playing football? Dad says, sweetheart, your your brother played football. All you did was cheer. And what pastors are noticing, all over America is that how comfortable congregations can get just as cheerleaders, y'all, if we're not very careful. Y'all with me? We're really good at being on the sidelines, throwing up our pom-poms, going, go team, go, go team, go, while a few parts of the body are actually swapping helmet paint on the field. But I want you to know, if you really want to be a part of this faith family, I want you to know that you are designed for purpose. There's a role for you to serve, to swap, paint, in the trench, to live on mission day in and day out. Day in and day out. Just a methodical life lived because of what Christ has done for you. Not, not a difficult thing. It's the simple gospel. We just, we just laid that out. Here's the reality. We're all, we're all followers of a Jewish carpenter. Are y'all with me? We really are, and and what I do is, as I hope today, that you'll in in uh, be inspired to become contributor to the mission that God has for each of us, having invested into somebody personally. I'm going to, This is the thesis. This is the goal. Is that you will be inspired to invest into someone personally, and specifically this week, to the point that their life gets a touch of heaven. Listen. Um, movements don't start with the masses, does it? It starts with a message. It starts with a personal message. I'm talking about one sold-out believer making an effort on behalf of one need for one person. And so on this Mission Sunday, we're going to commission our team, and we're going to run out of here. We're going to go to Mexico as fast as we're going to get to the airport. And... We're going to go, go, go. We're going to serve. We're going to serve, out of, we're going to serve out of the overflow because of what God has done in our hearts. Overheaping is a word that Kathy Gilbert used so often. And my heart's desire is that we would turn our eyes upon Jesus so that we just live out loud. But y'all, it's not just for us. It's not just for us that are going across into, into a foreign land. It's, it's for us that we turn our eyes upon Jesus. Are y'all with me? And live out loud every single day. Every single day. Here's just a little prayer that, that I pray. And I and, um, just want to kind of teach it to you guys. It's just this. God, I know you want the marvelous to take place through me so others can see you. And so to be the king of my heart, the wind in my sails, the fire inside my veins, when my obedience to you is overheaping on somebody else. And just what a a simple prayer to pray. Lord, be real in me today so that I can magnify you in my life and put somebody in my path that I can love on for your name. Let's do this. Open your Bibles, Mark chapter 2. Let's stand together. Starting in verse 1, the title of the message is simply Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus to Live Out Loud to live out loud. Hey, let's do this. Just look at somebody right around you and just tell them good morning and say, we're prepared to live out loud. Just let's. we gotta... Live out loud. I don't know if it was all the biscuits and gravy at the cafe, but you guys are a little lethargic on me. Let's dig into the word of life. Amen, church, as we live out loud. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, says this. When he entered into Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. So many people gathered together. There was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. Verse 3, they came to him, bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was laying. Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your your sins are forgiven. Verse 6. Some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But so that you may know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and you go to the house. And immediately he got up, he took the map, he went out in front of everyone. As a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, We never seen nothing like this. We never seen nothing like this. You guys have a seat. We never seen nothing like this. Here's what's going on the word's out. The word's out. Jesus is back on the block. Here's the context. Capernaum was an area around the Sea of Galilee that was really his ministry base. And the custom was in first century that you didn't need, really need an invitation to come to the house. So what we find is a house packed with people that likely just showed up. Who likes that? <laughs> Anybody? You know, what do we do when we hear the doorbell or not? You know, we, we hide and pull up our ring app and see who it is. Not this culture. What home specifically this takes place in is not clear. But what is clear is that the crowds were there along with the who's who of religious circles. And so many gathered they couldn't even get to the door. Okay. You know, I imagine I imagine the situation being like the Mexican restaurant that everybody needed to get their salsa fixed after the COVID shutdowns were lifted. Okay, don't leave me. Y'all know what you did. We all ran to eat Mexican food. It was packed. It was packed. And so that the people were there because they were interested in Jesus. But what I want you to see is their, their, uh, their interest was selfishly motivated. They heard that, that the miracle worker was there. And, and they were, as they always tried to do, corner Jesus into some type of theological trip up so that they can disqualify him as being who God had sent him to be. And so they thought, again, they could leverage the crowd in order to silence the Messiah. And so they were there. They wanted Jesus for what he could give them. Some people were there because he was doing miracles. He was changing lives and people showed up just for a handout. Man, isn't that a picture of our culture? Some people only turn to Jesus because of what they can get, not what they can give. And and this was kind of what was going on. It was temporary. But the beautiful thing is what Jesus gives them instead is the truth. He gives them the word. He begins to pour out himself to them. Word says he was preaching the truth. And I want you to know on this day, this house party, it's not a party until you get it started, okay? But this house party right here, Jesus, Jesus was about to get it started. It was going to be much different than any other day because Jesus was there to put heaven's mercy and to put his authority on full display. Heaven's mercy and his authority on full display. And so Jesus backs his claim of deity using this simple faith of just five dudes in a rug. You tell me God can't show up and show out. He used five dudes in a rug. I'm going to tell you, he can show up and show up, show up and show up and show out in your life because he's always in the details. And one of my heart desire for our mission trip for the next week is that we would see God working in the details. You know, sometimes... On the weight of doing something, you become something. And so my heart for our mission team is we just become more like Jesus in the going. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I know everything that we face next week in an opera is already filtered through the sovereignty of God's hand, and so we simply walk in obedience and our desire for Him. And so whatever happens, happens. We want to go live out loud. And so what this text does, we're going to work through it. How do we actually live lives that live out loud? The first thing is this. We have to have a mind made up for a mission. A mind made up for a mission. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I want the devil to say, oh no, he's up. Oh no, he's up. Oh no, he's up. Look at verse 1 through 3. With a mind made up for a mission. When he entered Capernaum again, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And so many people gathered there There was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. And they came to him bringing a paralytic cured by four of them. Now, these guys had a mission. They had a mission. Missions drive us. Missions drive us. A lot of organizations pay a lot of money for strategists to create mission. Because it kind of sums up. Uh, individuals it sums up families it, it drives our culture thinking about arby's arby's what's the next line we have the meats come on the mission jersey Mike's is what a sub above who said that that's my guy right there He's like, Dad, you want to have lunch? I'm like, yeah, where do you want to go? Jersey Mike's. You paying? Okay, I'll meet you there. <laughs> One of these drive throughs I think they should have this mission that says where $20 gets washed down the drain. That's what, <laughs> that's what I think their mission ought to be because that's the truth. Here's the thing. You have a mission statement for your family. If you do, that's great. If not, I encourage you to think about a mission statement for your family. Ours is simply believe and react. It's, it's something simple for us. Maybe you have a mission statement that's painted on some artwork that you've got at Hobby Lobby. Maybe it hangs in the living room. Maybe it says something like, you know, live, life, love. Maybe it's scripture. Maybe it's happy wife, happy life. I'll keep going. I digress. But here's what I'm trying to say. When, when you think about a mission, it keeps you on course. And when you about your, focus, focus on your mission All of a sudden, you realize, wait a minute, we're not doing what our unit or our company or our family was created to do because the mission defines the essential function. And it's what drives us. It's what keeps us plumb. It's what keeps us moving in the right direction. We have a mission statement kind of here at the church. We've summed up this simply life with purpose. Jesus had a mission statement. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And so, what drives you? you know, what, what, what gets you up in the morning? It's got to be more than just Folgers in your cup. What's your family's mission statement? Mom, dad, where's your family headed? Because if your kids don't know where you're headed, how in the world are they going to follow you anywhere? The, the beautiful thing about what we see in the creation of man is before Adam was ever given a wife, he was given a job. And so women, as they, as they come along the side of the man, they, they, they complement the, 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 the direction and the passion and the gift and, and the job that God has given the family. And so we see that right in the beginning. What things spiritually has God put on your heart to see come to fruition in your lifetime? Breaths that were, are borrowed are just gone every day. So get up in the morning and say, Lord, what would you have me to do with your borrowed breath today? It's been said that if, if the size of your mission doesn't intimidate you, it's probably insulting to God. God, what would you have me do today that so be it would fail unless you were in it? Living on faith. Turn your eyes upon Jesus so that we can live out loud. That's kind of where these guys were. They had a mission. It lays it out clearly. In, in the passage, these guys, the driving force for their motivation was simple, that the lame would walk. I'm going to say anybody looking for a mission for their life, I think you ought to take on the mission of Jesus. That God would just use us to glorify Him. And that those that are far away might come to faith in Christ. And so begin to ask the Lord, Lord, what what is my mission? What is is my family to be built on? Where are we going? God help me to get it done. The other thing that we see is this. We're going to live out loud. We've got to have an eager hope. We have to have an eager hope. An eager hope. See, if you don't have an eager hope, why even show up? There were 93,000 people that had an eager hope Sanford Stadium, Dooley Field yesterday. Five and five. You know, who brings a cat to a dog fight? I don't know. Come on. But all those guys rolling in, there had an eager hope. I don't know anybody that rolled into the stadium and go, I, have, I, don't, I don't care if we win or lose. I just hope both teams have fun. That's hogwash. Come on. You have to have an eager hope. What what these guys had right here is an eager hope. Look at it, verse 1. When he entered into Capernaum again after some days, it was reported that he was at home. He was there. Word was out. And they were eager for it. And so many people gathered together. There was no more room, not even in the doorway. And he was speaking the word to them. And he came to him bringing a paralytic, carried by four dudes. They had an eager hope. They actually believed that Jesus could heal this man if we could just get our friend to Jesus. See, they knew their friend's identity. And they knew that his worth, and they knew that his future was tied to a mat. But they believed that wasn't the end of his story. Listen, I don't know what your story is or how it's been written up to this point, but I'm here to tell you, God is not through writing your story. There are still pages to be written. He is not finished. So they thought, hey, Jesus is there. Maybe, just maybe. Maybe. Are you saying there's a chance? Maybe, just maybe. If they had this expectation how much more expectation should we have? This was pre-resurrection. The tomb is empty. Y'all with me? How much expectation should we have? You guys write this down. Here it is. God doesn't require us to understand His will. Just obey it. Even if it seems unreasonable. See, if I could understand God with my three-pound pound brain, He wouldn't be worth worshiping. And I've learned enough to know that I don't know that much. But I know he's faithful. And I know he's given me the guardrails for peace and provision right here. And so oftentimes it doesn't make sense why I would take 17 other people from Church 213 and go to Mexico and build a house. But God has made our path straight. And so we are going. These guys went. They didn't know exactly what would happen when they got to the house, and they did certainly didn't expect that the crowds would be all the way out in the yard. But they had one goal: get this paralyzed to the prophet, because their expectations were anchored in the person of Jesus as healer. And they didn't listen. Did they see the whole picture? No. But they didn't need to see the whole picture. They didn't need to see the whole picture. They saw the mat. They saw Jesus' power, and so they had eager hope. See, an eager hope is something we should ask the Lord for every day. I think it's it's a reasonable request. Lord, give me an eager hope today. When I leave my house, give me a hope for something today. I want to see you do something today. To be so hand-in-hand with Jesus that your faith gets stretched and and and, there, and it gets stretched to uh, amazement. I don't I don't I don't want us a faith family to ever get to the point where we say, hey, yeah, we have six baptisms in three weeks. Lord, that's enough. Can you just just Holy Spirit, just can you just pump the brakes just for a couple of weeks? Because I just can't take it. No, we want, we we have an eager hope, right? Fill it up, fill it up. I don't ever want you to say I've tasted enough. God is good and all, but I'm I'm pretty satisfied. For what I've seen him do. Man, I'm going to tell you, if that's you, you are missing out. You're missing out. It doesn't translate in any other realm of our lives. It it would be silly for David to to feel like, you know what? You know, you've written me letters before. You know, I've gotten, you know, gifts before. and I've gotten flowers before, but that's all right. You don't ever have to give me those again. I've tasted and seen enough. Like the old guy, his wife said, why don't you tell me you love me anymore? I told you the day I got married, if something changed, I'll let you know. (laughs) Don't don't do that. Don't do that. An eagerness every day, an eagerness. Church, having God blow your mind just doesn't happen on its own. It takes obedience to his voice. Listen, through prayer and time and his word, you begin to see him work. You begin to see him work in the details. It's how we live on mission this week in Mexico, but it's more than just that It's how we live out loud every day. Eager expectation. So my challenge is this. Do you have an eager expectation for someone to come to Christ? I hope every day you get up and God has so burned your heart for that one person that you say, Lord, don't let me stop being eager for that one person. Help me walk slowly through the crowd. Who is that person that you continue to? To pray for, to reach out to, to send a text to. And then does that eager expectation have action? Because faith without works is dead. We work together. And that's what we see. It translates the gospel worked all the way through this text. If you're gonna live on mission, yeah, you've gotta have you gotta have a mind for mission and a, an a eager hope, but you also have to have this. You need to expect Some effort. Expect some effort. Look at verse 4. He came to him bringing a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd they removed the roof above him and after digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. It's just old-fashioned sweat equity is what this is. Loving somebody enough to do whatever it takes to get them to Jesus. You ever carry a dead weight or pick somebody up that's passed out or someone that can't stand on their own? It's tough, isn't it? It's tough right there, and there was no doubt that that there were times in these in these guys' lives as as they moved moved with the map that the pilot would have slipped through their sweaty hands. Put yourself, God, put put yourself into the story. It's it's real life here. Legs would have cramped up. Their backs would have would have tightened up carrying a grown man down some dusty streets. You know there would have been grimaces on their faces. There there would have been sweat on their brow. I don't want just to. I don't want us to skip by the commitment that it takes to getting this friend to Christ. And as I was working through this, I'm like, man, how hard do I really try to get people to Jesus? I mean, really, how much effort on a day, listen on a daily basis? Really, how much effort do you put into? Getting people to the Lord. When, when's the last time you picked up somebody and brought them to church? I've been asked before, Pastor, does this church 213 have any type of transportation ministry? I'm like, absolutely. There's 500 people on our roll, most families have two cars. We, we run a thousand buses. Think about that. Who do you know that you'll go out and pick up and say, hey, I'm going to come on by there. I even got a biscuit for you. Don't worry about breakfast. I'll bring you to church. Effort. Well, Well, man, it's out of your way. So Jesus went out of our way. He left the throne, took upon the cross. Right? The effort. When's the last time you went out of your way to be a believer? When's when's the when's the last hard thing you did for the glory of God? When's the last hard thing you did for the glory of God? And are we willing to walk the walk, not just talk the talk and showing people our faith in Jesus? I'm gonna tell you, Kathy Gilbert walked the walk. She walked the walk in the way that she served her Lord in her suffering. Oh man if anybody in our faith family could have stayed home on a Sunday morning, it was Kathy Gilbert. David would tell me sometimes it would take two and three hours just to prepare herself so she could come in here, knowing that the rest of the day she would be in pain. What? Commitment and the suffering. When's the last time you did something really difficult for the cause of Christ? James says it like this. James chapter 1 says, But... Be doers of the word and and, and not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. That's what he's saying. If you hear it and don't do it, you're deceiving yourself. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like someone looking at his own face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away. and immediately forgets what kind of person he was but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this person will be blessed in what he does. Blessed in what he does. If it was easy, anybody would have picked him up and took him. But it took some extra effort. We, 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 we we're saved by Christ. We're, we're filled with His Spirit to do hard things. Noah built. Y'all with me? Moses led. David fought. Joshua yelled. Esther stepped forward. Rahab opened her home. Joseph stood by Mary's side. Mary watched. Her son give us life. Peter left his nets. James and John left their father. Paul lived in prison. Jesus left his disciples. And God gave his only son. We are made for action, church. And so I'm saying don't, don't turn away from living out loud just because hard things comes your way. Because change requires change. Everybody wants change, but nobody wants to change. Putting in the effort to see life change in Christ, I'm telling you, it might be that spark that your faith needs. That effort, that that little, that, that difficult thing that you step into that makes you uncomfortable, man, it might just be the thing that jump starts something new in your heart. I'm gonna tell you, I can see in the eyes of Hunter and in, in the in the eyes of MJ that something got jump started today. You know why? They did a difficult thing. This is not easy. This is, in some ways, it's the first step of knowing what the Word says that I haven't, you know, we're not filled by, not given a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. The reason that the baptistry waters is so important is because that's, it's that first step of living out loud, and it's scary. My goodness, if, if you can't go through the baptistry waters because of your faith, what in the world makes you think you can fight out there? It's just not going to happen. Something else, you guys get this. These men expected risk. So if you're going to have a mind on a mission and you're going to have an eager hope and you're going to put forth some effort, oh, you better believe it. There's going to be some risk and some pushback. Because I promise what we are doing here is we are battling, as Ephesians 6 tells us, we are not battling against flesh and blood. A church body is the only organized organization group of people that battles in the spiritual realms. And so we have to experience some risk. Is it risky to be a believer? Absolutely it's risky to be a believer. Look at verse 4. Thinking about risk. Not only was there effort, but there was risk. Since... They were not able to bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. They removed the roof above him. And after they removed the roof above him, digging through it, they lowered the mat on which the paralytic was lying. You know where their eager expectation had led them to a dangerous place. It led them to a dangerous place. Their, their hope and their, and their effort had taken them right to the rooftop. But it's not like the roofs that we see now. You know, it's not so many pitches and so many squares. They were flat with a, with a, small, a small, more like a lean-to type. And the top of the house was, was very brittle. But they didn't have stairs to access the roof. There was no um, attic stairs. There was no stairs to go you know interior stairs what the way you would access that roof is you would have to use a small very narrow outside set of stairs that worked this way to the top and that was risky because not only are you working your way up a small set of steps on top of a very brittle roof typically probably just like clay or straw but you're carrying another grown man not only you're carrying him but he can't stand on his own so if there's any slip You're talking about tragedy here. Are y'all with me? Be like carrying carrying some of you on our backs up a ladder onto this roof. Nobody's going to sign up for that. This was crazy. It was unreasonable. It was costly. It was scary. And it was risky. And the the thing that I I like about this text, especially the way Mark writes his gospel, is it's fast moving. They didn't think about it. The text says that it goes from a crowded door. So they arrive to the door. Y'all with me? They get to the door. It's crowded. Okay, what are we going to do now? Let's go to the roof. Okay, let's go to the roof. What are we going to do? Let's go to the roof. And to the roof they went. And on the roof they took this risk. And I found that interesting because it gives us a glimpse of the heart of a friend. When you see a need, how often do you just jump in? Especially with your own children, right? If your own children are in danger, you're not going to phone a friend. You're not going to Google it. You're going to call your insurance agent, see what kind of deductible you're with. Okay, are we paid up before you go and try to help a loved one? No, you, you risk life or limb, don't you? You jump in there. See, what is faith? Faith is substance of things hoped for based on evidence of things unseen. And so yes, this, was, this was crazy what they were doing. They didn't call a meeting to talk about tactics. They didn't say that. They didn't email a structural engineer for advice. They didn't call the bank, to see if they had the money to replace the roof before they ripped it off. They didn't go to the synagogue and pray about it. Listen, there are some things in church you don't have to pray about. Amen. And they didn't put it off until later. Wait till somebody else came along that would do it. They recognized the need, and they stepped in to meet it. Because that's what love does. That's what love does. It's the reality is you're. It's possible you're gonna to have to climb some stairs in order to live out loud. You want to know the fastest way to get passionate about seeing God work in your life? You you listen for Him to ask you to do something risky. And unreasonable and scary. And then you do it quickly. You guys write this down. If you expect God to turn all the circumstances of your life into something good. Then you must be willing to trust him when you can't see him. You must be willing to trust him when you can't see him. And so, what you and I have to decide to do is, hey, am I going to sell out to Christ even when things don't look reasonable to me? That's the requirement of discipleship. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, hey, if you want to follow me, here's the requirements. You must first deny yourself and all of your understanding, deny your own understanding, take up your cross. That means put your life aside. Pick up my life and put it on you. And then, at that point, those are the prerequisites for you to follow me. Eagerness, risk, and effort. But here's the beautiful thing, y'all. If we just seek God's kingdom, He'll help us manage ours. You see these bumper stickers that drive me nuts. It says, Jesus is my co-pilot. Nah. I want him to be my pilot. I want to be able to take my hands off the wheel and look to him and say, you are good and you are faithful and you are righteous and you are just. Your love is never ending and it's long-suffering. And so let me take my hands off the wheel, Lord. Let me come under your authority and trust you for all things because you have created all things and in you all things are held together. What greater promise is that? And there's victory there. Hey, students in your school, they're like, uh-oh. Give your very best to honor the Lord. Study hard. Love Him and love other people. And relax. Those people won't even be friends with you in 10 years. I promise. I promise. Now, listen, I got just a handful of friends from, from, from high school. Just a handful, one or two, that I'd get down the trench with. All those other people that I thought were so important, they're not. Man, one of them's right there. That's my man right there, Pastor David. My dear, dear friend. Thanks for being here, brother. But man, we sharpen iron together, don't we? We weep together. We, we talk about ministry together. And so, hey, in your marriage, just come under God's authority. Serve Him. Your finances Serve Him. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Isaiah 55 tells us this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as heaven is higher than earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. To God be the glory. They experienced more than they expected. they experienced more than they expected. So if you're going to live out loud, expect that. Experience more than expected. That's the last thing. You're going to live out loud. Work through it. Have a mind for a mission. Have an eager hope. Expectation of effort. Expect the risk. And then have an experience More than expected. When you step into the effort and you step into the risk, I promise you God will do greater and more abundantly than anything you could ever think or imagine. Ephesians 3. You experience something way more than you ever expected. Look at verse 5. They thought he was just going to get a touch in his physical body. Verse 5 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic son, Your sins are forgiven. They're like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. That's not what we're here for. This is not what I expected. But some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does he speak like this? He, he's blaspheming. Who, forg- who can forgive sins but God alone? And right away, Jesus perceived in his spirit that they were thinking like this within themselves. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, and take your mat, and walk. So that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic. I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he got up, he took the mat, and went out in front of everybody. As a result, they were all astounded, and gave glory to God and said, We've never seen anything like this. Man, don't you want to have such a, such a live out loud type of faith that it, when you lay your head on the pillow at night, you think to yourself, man, I've never seen a day like this. Wow! I can't wait to go to sleep and do it all over again. This is unbelievable. This is way more than I ever expected. That's the promises of God. When you simply love Him and love other people, see other people and walk into their lives and be present, to, 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 to be in their life and be obedient to the call of God on your life. Last week, uh, we left Sadie's ball game and uh, went by Your Pie. And uh, just she and I had a little prompt to daddy daughter date. It was good. We went in, we got some pizza, and we sat down. And uh, they were having a birthday party, somebody there. And so as they're singing Happy Birthday, I thought when they get to the end I'm they're gonna be cheering and I want to cheer like this, this little fella I mean what if everybody in the restaurant began to cheer and so they're winding it down happy birthday to you and then they started clapping and so I started clapping and I started yelling and I started whooping woo, you know and they're looking at me like who is this dude And said he's like oh my goodness dad stop but, but, they, but they turned, and that little guy, who's 13, he turned, and he smiled so big. And so it was just fun, you know, just making a memory. And so Sadie had a kid's meal, and so she got a little cup for gelato. And so I thought, boy, that would, that's a small cup for ice cream. I can eat all of that. What's she going to get? <laughs> and so she gets up, and as she gets up and walks up to the counter... The mom who was throwing the birthday party comes over with this slab of birthday cake and a goodie bag. And she says, hey, I know she's a little girl. Do you think she would want some cake in a goodie bag? I'm like, her dad would love some cake in a goodie bag. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so I've got this plate in this goodie bag and she's up there with her little bitty cup of ice cream. And she comes back. She's all happy. She's like, I got ice cream. I'm like, I got cake. And she's like, where would you get all that? I said, from that family that you were embarrassed about when I said happy birthday. And I thought, man, what, what, a, what a picture for us of how God is always out here. Just waiting to give us way more than we ever expected. See, these people, they, they thought the primary need was external that day. But what Jesus did in this passage, y'all, is, is true for me and it's true for you. He addresses a deeper need. And people were filled with awe. And I love the order of what takes place. It's, it's actually the heart of the gospel. Because look, how did he arrive? Broken? Separated? His identity was in his physical condition? desperate with his palate at his purpose. But that is not how he left. Because somebody turned their eyes upon Jesus. The guy didn't leave the house the same way he came in. Y'all get that? He came in on a mat through the roof. But the text says he left in front of the people, which means he walked out of the front door. He came in through the roof, but he went out through the front. He walked out with his head held high and his pallet in his hand. He was free from the inside out because somebody had turned their eyes upon Jesus. And he's been changed from a ruin to a treasure, given a hope and given a future because he had turned his eyes upon Jesus. He didn't have to force his way out the way he forced his way in the people stood back and this old boy walked out the front door because he was a brand new man who who laid his brokenness because he had turned his eyes to Jesus this is why this is a picture of the gospel because in order to walk out different you have to walk in broken are y'all with me? The kingdom is backwards. God's economy, the math, is just different. God does His best work with broken things. I've seen it. More times than I can count, God never uses anything that doesn't come to Him first broken. Because, man, when you bring Him your junk, He'll turn it into a masterpiece, and you'll be a billboard for His glory. And people will say, what a mighty God you serve. The text says the people stepped aside, saying, "We ain't never seen nothing like this." Jesus is like, "That's right, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me." You could say that to the bank, and the word begins to spread through Capernaum. You guys, write this down: God can do and will do whatever He wants, so the world will trust and obey Christ Jesus as Lord. God can do and will do whatever He wants so the world will trust and obey Christ as Lord. What's the Scripture say God can do? Whatever He wills and His mission is strategically revealed. That's what He can do. He can do whatever His will is he can rescue you from a fiery furnace, Daniel 3. Deliver from a lion's den, Daniel 6. Give sight to the blind, Matthew 9. Keep you from stumbling, Jude 24. Make your soul eternally secure, to God be the glory, Hebrews 7. Make every grace overflow to you, 2 Corinthians 9. Able to do above and beyond all that you can ever ask or think daily. Y'all, we got to believe that Jesus erases our past. Thank goodness. Restores our reputations. And repaves our future as we live out loud. Let's read Ephesians 3. We're almost done. Ephesians 3 says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, And I pray that He may grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His Spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and what is the width and the height and the depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a beautiful prayer to pray over your people. Now to Him, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Come on, church. Amen. we got to live out loud. I'll close with a story. It came to pass that a group existed who called themselves fishermen. And there were so many fish, y'all. There were fish all in the waters around them. In fact, the whole area was surrounded by streams. Lakes. I mean, filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. Day after day, week after week, and month after month, and year after year, these people who call themselves fishermen, they met and they talked about their call to fish, how many fish there were, how they need to go about fishing, and declaring that fishing is always to be the primary task of fishermen. And continually, listen, they searched for new and better methods of fishing, new. Definitions of fishing. They they created witty slogans and they displayed them on signs and billboards and banners and t-shirts and bumper stickers and these fishermen they, they built these large, beautiful buildings and they called them fishing headquarters multi-million dollar fishing headquarters. And they organized these boards to send out the fishermen to other places where there were so many fish. And then the board, they hired staff and they appointed committees and they held meetings to define fishing and to defend fishing and decide what new streams need to be thought about. But listen, this fishing community, they never fished. And one day somebody came along and hurt their feelings because they suggested that those who don't fish aren't really fishermen no matter how much they claim to be. My question is, if if a person is a fisherman and year after year he never fishes, can you really say he's a fisherman? And if a believer, listen, says... They live out loud and they know how to live out loud. And they come to a place, the headquarters, that talks about living out loud. and They want to live out loud. And they have all the tools and all the banners and all the shirts and all the bumper stickers and all the mission trips that you thought about going to, but you never actually do it. I'm here to tell you, you're not living out loud. So here's my call for Church 213. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and go live out loud. Have a mission. Have an eager expectation. Expect some effort. Assume the risk. And watch what God will do. Watch what God will do.